Good morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because a plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one being the air, but I discipline my body. And keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. 
Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for Benjamin, who you've just gifted to be able to hide God's word in his heart, that he might share it to us, with us in this, this powerful way. Lord, this morning I pray that I might be spirit-filled also. Lord, that the teaching might be from you, that you might challenge our hearts, encourage us, sharpen us, that we might become all that you have saved us to be. And then, Lord, we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the message is entitled, For the Sake of the Gospel. Now, to some of you, it's like I'm preaching to the choir. Because we have a number of families and people in this church that their reason for living is the gospel. To some of you, this is like new information. Uh, years ago, I was uh, preaching through Ephesians. Probably the first year I was here in ministry, 33 years ago, I was preaching through Ephesians, and I came to Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And it says that God has given gifted men to the church, so the church that those men teach the church, and the church does the work of the ministry. And one of the deacons, Rocky Ownbees, with the Lord now, he said, man, Pastor, I've never heard that before. I figure we hired it done. And so if you're in that state this morning, I want to welcome you to the fray. I love this passage of Scripture. It is so challenging to me. But I want you to hold on because it's serious, serious challenge. Paul is dealing with a Corinthian church who many of them are so focused on what they can do, what they can get away with, what their rights are. And it's like a lot of people in American Christianity. They walk around to, well, you can't tell me I can't do that. And anybody brings any kind of standard or discipline from the word of God, they call it legalism. And remember, legalism isn't what you do, it's why you're doing it. But any challenge to discipline, they say, oh, no, no, that's, I've got grace, I've got grace. Yes, you do have grace. But Paul says we have this opportunity to bring discipline to our life and maybe we give up a little something because the goal is not how much you can get away with, how much you can enjoy life as a believer. The goal is to please Christ and to bring in as many people with you to heaven as you can. So it begins, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the first 14 verses, but basically the Apostle Paul illustrates that he has given up things in order to bring them the gospel. And it wasn't a big deal to him. He gives six reasons why he had a right to be supported. And I think the reason he's giving these reasons is because while he took the privilege of working so they couldn't accuse him of being in the business of the gospel for money, he was also laying a foundation so there was opportunity for that church to have a pastor. They would understand that it's scriptural, it's biblical, it's commanded by Christ for them to take care of their pastor. It's their privilege. So he says these, these six things. Number one, he had a right to be supported because it was, he was an apostle. And he said, I may not be apostle to anybody else, but you know I'm apostle to you because you have Christ now. Secondly, it's customary to pay workers. Third, it's according to God's law. Fourth, other leaders exercise the right. And he named the other apostles that were being taken care of by the church and supported in ministry. Five, it is a universal pattern. Anybody going to war doesn't, isn't expected to fund himself while he's overseas fighting the battle for his king or country. And lastly, Jesus ordained that they take care of their pastor. 
But in verses 15 through 18, Paul talks about his responsibility and the reasons why he would not take advantage of the rights that he had to be supported. Remember when we were talking about marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And verse 29 through 31, there's these verses and they almost look like don't, they don't fit there. Because when we're going through these answers to questions, whether it's, you know, t- just tell them that we have the right to eat meat offered to idols. That's not a problem, Paul. Just tell them. Tell them I can do that if I want to. And why don't you straighten my wife out so I can have a happy life, chapter 7. And Paul gives this instruction. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. And while we don't know how much time there is until Jesus comes back, you also don't know how much time you have. And yet sometimes as believers, we act like, well, I've got things to do, and so I've got all the time in the world. When really, when you belong to Christ, it's not your time anymore. So how are you using the valuable commodity of your time to honor the Lord, to be about the gospel? So Paul just in that, in that all that instruction on marriage says, listen, you need to get your eye back on the goal. It's not just so you can have a happy home and you can have a comfortable life. Your home, your marriage is about being a demonstration of Christ's love for the church. Your home needs to be about the gospel. So Paul said, I've used none of these things as my rights, verse 15. And I'm not writing these things so that you'll say, oh, we better, we better uh, pay Paul because he needs money. He said, no, that's not the reason I'm telling you that. He said, I have a stewardship of the gospel that's laid on me and it's my great joy and privilege to be able to work and then share the gospel so nobody can ever be distracted. When he's going in, he's the beach landing, he's the Marines, he's the first opportunity for the gospel to penetrate a culture. He said, I don't want people being distracted. We have changed the way we plant churches now at Larry Valley Chapel based upon our study of Paul's life. Paul had an, he was a very good businessman. He was trained as an attorney, but Jewish boys were also trained in a trade. So if the profession wasn't going good, they could always do something with their hands. So he was trained as an attorney, but he's also trained as a leather worker. He was a tent maker. And besides making tents, they also sewed saddles and harnesses and all kinds of things that were used in those days made out of leather. And when he was there in Ephesus turning the world upside down, he was supporting up to seven other people with his business that were in ministry. That's a businessman. One thing I really love about this church is it's full of entrepreneurs, businessmen and businesswomen. Think about an entrepreneur, you're not depending on somebody else. You've got to get out there and do it yourself, which means a Christian stays dependent on the Lord to bring the business in. That was the Apostle Paul. He understood that. But he said, this is my reward, that I can bring the gospel to a culture without charge. And I don't want anybody taking that away from me. So we're telling our young men, if you feel called to be a church planner, get a trade also. What a joy it is in St. George. This is the first opportunity we had to put this into practice. We have two guys going down there that are barbers by trade. Matthew is is working in his uh, field of education as a 
I don't know what he does. Something with computers, advertising, all that kind of thing. I don't understand it, but it's still really good. But so those guys, the pressure is not on them like the old way. Well, here's 500 bucks a month. Hurry up and plant that church so you don't starve. No, no, no. They're just going down to see what God's going to do. And this morning, while it'll be quieter at our house for lunch, it's noisier in St. George today. They are having their first service today at Sam's house. So you continue to pray for them. But that's what Paul did. He was not ashamed of working with his hands, being a businessman, providing for his own ministry even. Thirdly, verses 19 through 23, Paul gets down to his, I've given up my right to be supported. That's what God's called me to do. He's given me this opportunity because of his life purpose. His life purpose was to be a skilled soul winner. In order to be a skilled soul winner, you have to be flexible when it comes to culture. You have to be focused on what the job is and prepared if you're going to be skilled in winning people to the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul wrote to Timothy, Timothy, be diligent to show yourself approved unto God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. You know how to use the word of God. You're prepared. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, Paul said, not that we are adequate in ourselves, our adequacy is from God who has also made us adequate ministers of the new covenant. You know how to take the word and apply it to somebody's life. Paul says he didn't have just a specific target group in mind. We hear that sometimes in our circles. Well, what's your target group? Are you after the Harley guys? So you got to wear some leather and drive your motorcycle to church so that people can identify with you. That's okay if you want to do it. Or is it the cowboys? Or maybe it's the up and outer and so you've got to dress really nice and drive really nice cars. Or maybe it's a down and outer so you've got to look like a drug abuser. You know, we live in the, the age of the style police and everybody thinks, you listen, our target group at Laramie Valley Chapel is lost people. It's lost people because it's one thing, no matter what their background is, lost people need It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if they're a really cool Division I athlete. When God begins to work in their heart, they don't care about if you're wearing a sweatsuit or not. They want to know, can you tell me about Jesus? And Paul was skilled at that. So when we look at this next passage of Scripture, Paul wasn't saying he was chameleon. And he didn't change the gospel. He didn't make it lighter for some and heavier for others. What he's saying is he come to the place in his life, he could, he could minister the gospel to anyone. He was skilled in the use of the scripture. Listen to what he says. For though I'm free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win the more. He said, I want to know the scripture so well that he could just wield his sword and penetrate from the word of God where they needed the help. To the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win the Jews. Well, he was Jewish. That wasn't hard for him. What was he talking about? He was talking about the cultural things that he wouldn't be able to walk in and just offend them right off the bat by doing something wrong. He didn't walk in eating a ham sandwich and try to minister the gospel to them. That would be offensive. If you get a chance to go to Israel, you'll find when you're in the Jewish neighborhood eating that there's some really strict rules. And Dr. Bookman tells us, listen, just... 
take it easy. And if you want to have a meat sandwich, that's fine. But don't eat at the same table as somebody that's having a cheese pizza because you're not going to find cheese and pepperoni in the Jewish neighborhood. They took what the law says, don't boil a kid in its mother's milk, and they've made another law that says you can't eat meat and cheese at the same time. Got to be separate. Now, I will tell you, if you eat at McDonald's in Israel, it's the best McDonald's hamburger you've ever had. They're very proud of their hamburgers over there. They're very good. But Christy, she likes to have a shake with her hamburger, so I get in line. Got to get a shake for Christy with her hamburger. And they call it the Big American. It's like this. And so I, my bus driver's standing there so he can interpret if we need it. I go, well, yeah, I like a hamburger and a chocolate shake. No, 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 no shake, no shake, no shake. What do you mean, no shake? No, no, you get a shake later. There's a separate line for shakes because it's Jewish and you don't eat meat and any kind of dairy product at the same time. I'm like, oh, I forgot, I'm sorry. Paul's saying that's not a big deal for him. He will eat kosher. He will dress according to the law. Whatever it takes, he wants to win Jewish people. That's not a big deal. He could say, well, I have the right to eat that if I want to. He did have the right. But he said, I'll give that a right up because people are more important. When you go to a different culture, maybe God calls you to minister. I remember uh, missionary Kyle Leibin, I believe he's with the Lord now, but one of our favorite missionaries growing up. And Carl Leibin was a missionary to Liberia. And he would go off in the jungle and be in those people's huts, and they'd hand him something to eat. Now, in that culture, when somebody offers you something to eat, you have to eat. You don't want to offend them. Well, as a missionary, you don't know where that came from. Someone said that you can tell a, a veteran missionary because a brand-new missionary, if there's a fly in his soup, he won't eat it. A fairly seasoned missionary will kick the fly out, and a seasoned missionary won't eat soup without a fly in it. You, get, you, you give up some things. Sometimes you have to trust the Lord for your health. But Paul said, I don't want to be a fence. I want to be skillful in one thing, and that's the gospel. So he said, to the Jews, I became like I was under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, those who are without the law, I don't want to walk in and act like I'm better than them. Because it's about the gospel. So I want to be... Without the law, not the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those that are without the law. To the weak, I became weak. Become different somehow? Did he change the gospel? No. He's just saying he understood what their need was, and he was skillful in how to handle the scripture to bring the scripture and the gospel to bear in their life. And then we come to verse 23, Paul's mission statement. This is the key verse for 1 Corinthians. It's the key verse for Paul's ministry. It's the key verse for his life. Paul said, this one thing I do. What was that? Forgetting those things that are behind, reaching for, stretching out for the things that are before, the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Was that, what was that? Fulfill his ministry as a preacher of the gospel. To see people come to Christ. Verse 23 he said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I might be a fellow partaker of it. Now, we've seen in the last few years counseling become a big thing in the church across the United States, and that's a good thing, biblical counseling. But after somebody's in marriage counseling for months, it makes me begin to wonder, number one, are they really saved? Is one of those people not really genuinely saved? But I know one thing's true, even if they are. 
The gospel is not the reason they're married. That's not the purpose for their home. Because it w- if it were, those problems would go away and they'd get focused. Instead of being focused on their rights, their comforts, and what they need to be getting out of the marriage their way, it'd be what would Jesus want. Even someone that's married to an unsaved person can be living their life pleasing to the Lord and it's not about your rights, what you ought to be doing getting your way. It's about what does Jesus think about the way I'm operating? Not how does she respond to me or what's he doing for me? But what does Christ think? You see, God in 1 Corinthians chapter, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and following, Paul lays out the purpose of marriage. And that is to be a demonstration to the world of Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Jesus. And how we respond to one another becomes that picture of the home. That's the gospel. How about our counseling and our education and our business and our job and our recreation? Are you do all those things for the sake of the gospel? He said, well, not, you know, you're getting kind of harsh, Paul. Listen, I want to tell you something. This is the reason God saved us, that we might be a light to all those that are lost. Now, how that gets carried out, I'm not here to tell you. But I will tell you this, I'm not up to this yet. And when I go through this passage and I study this passage, I begin to think, all right, Lord, what needs to go? What needs to get sharpened? What needs to be changed so that I can be living a life that's for everything for the sake of the gospel? How many Christians just trying to be good so they can enjoy life? Keep the rules. Go to church. Get some wisdom so you can have nice kids and your wife can be nice and you can be nice. And we can just have a comfortable life. Go to church, get a little chicken soup for your soul so you can feel good about yourself. We want to be challenged. What would it be like in our marriage if all of a sudden our home was about the gospel? I grew up in a home like that. I have the privilege that in our home, and I'm not saying it wasn't perfect. All kids grow up and we want to adjust how we think our parents were. But one thing I can tell you, the great joy, consistent joy in our home was about people that came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That was the focus of our home. And you know what? That passes down. If you're just being a Christian so you can get everything right like the Pharisees and make sure you do it right so the kids do it right so they can be successful, get a good education, you can be comfortable, then you're missing the great joy. You're missing the joy. Because our homes can be a center for ministry. That's what God intends. This church we gather together, this is just kind of like half time for you to get kind of charged up to go hit the line again. But your home, that's the basic infantry group right there. That's where people really see. That's where your children really see what's important. So what would life look like if we began to think, how does this fit into the gospel in our church, in the programs in our church, in our life, in our family, in our home? Am I doing all things like the Apostle Paul instructed for the sake of the gospel? He's looking at these people in Corinth that are taking things to court. 
that want to get their way, that want to sue their brother, that are having problems in their marriage, that are fussing with one another in the church and not sharing with one another. And he's saying, the problem is, you're not doing all things for the sake of the gospel. That's why this verse is key to the whole book. All the problems here, because these people said they come to Christ, then they're trying to live life for themselves. And we can do that, but we miss out on the joy. Then he goes on to say that he desires to be a fellow partaker. That doesn't mean he wins souls so he go to heaven. What it is, is just a little closer view of Paul's heart. He wanted everybody to have a share in what he found in Jesus Christ. Then the last portion of scripture, 24th into the chapter, the importance of discipline. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 4 through 6, and he talked about soldiers, athletes, and farmers and their discipline. He said to the soldiers, you've got to learn to endure hardness. And you've got to focus on the one that has enlisted you to be a soldier. You've got to separate from all your worldly, worldly distractions. And we, we have to do that all the time, don't we? Because things just kind of take over. And we can sacrifice the best for what is good. So we have to be discerning. And like an athlete, we have to prepare so that we perform at the highest level, and like a farmer, we've got to be patient and endure waiting for the crops. Spiritual discipline is a non-negotiable in the Christian life. That's part of the very first invitation Jesus gave. He said, if any man would come after me, Matthew 16, 24, let him what? Deny himself. Paul said, as part of the gospel, you have rights, you have these liberties but when it comes to the real goal, you may have to give up some things. Because that was a part of the Christian life in the beginning. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Where was Paul going? Or excuse me, where was Jesus going when he gave the invitation? Follow me with your cross. He was going to the place of execution. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What is it going to profit you as a believer if you get everything the world has to offer and use every comfort and every liberty that are yours in Christ Jesus and you end up empty-handed before the throne one day? Will that be worth it? Verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you might win. Run to win. Get a purpose in your life. Just, and I'm not here to tell you how that is, what needs to change. We're not going to be legalistic. We want to separate you from your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know he'll tell you if you ask him. The point is, are you available for the gospel be the purpose for your life. Go tell him. He'll tell. He'll tell you what to do. It may be as simple as you just begin when people are at work or people on the job or in your business come in and they have a trouble. And it may be the smallest thing. Holy Spirit nudges you. Tell them you'd be praying for them. And you pray for them. But you're listening. 
Get a purpose for your life. Stop being like a ball in a pinball machine where, like the world, you're just pinging off the circumstances, looking to land in a hole and get some points. Verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. It's just part of being an athlete. Now, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. What we're doing lasts for eternity. If your focus is how you can just get a lot of, you can take biblical principles. You know, I, I think it's interesting that the one very popular program about wealth management is Dave Ramsey. And he puts giving to the Lord at the end of the book. Why does he do that? Well, because he wants the world to buy it too, because he's gotten rich selling it. But you know, there are some people, I don't care, God has not called some people to ever have anything. It's not about how much you get and canning all you get and sitting on the lid because when you die, you still die and there's no U-Hauls following hearses. Uh -uh. But Jesus said you have an opportunity to use your wealth so that when you get to heaven, there are people there waiting for you because you lived your life and the purpose of your life was the gospel. So he says, verse 26, therefore I run in a way not without aim. I box in a way to land some blows. Literally, I think John MacArthur said it means he gave himself a black eye. He buffeted his body and made it his slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This is the mature Apostle Paul saying, I have to watch what I'm doing He's talking about losing his salvation. He's talking about being disqualified from that which brings him the greatest joy in life, and that's seeing people come to know Christ. I think it was Warren Wiersbe said he's also ministering in this truth because while he's challenging other people to be about this, he doesn't want to lose that focus himself in his own life. I can tell you, that being a pastor, it's easy not to have a field and just focus inside the walls of the church. I always want to have a place, so I go to the gym. I get out. I could, I could get equipment. I've tried that before. It doesn't work as good for me. Just work out at home. Get it done. No, I want to be out there where I'm meeting people. So there's always that opportunity to meet unsaved people. Do you have those fields you're developing? Do you have your neighbors over in your house regularly? Is your place a center of ministry? He said, I don't want to be disqualified because I'm just not practicing anymore. John MacArthur said, if an athlete expects to excel, he voluntarily and often severely restricts his liberty. He has discipline in his sleep, his diet, and his exercise. And those things are not determined by his rights or by his feelings, but by the requirements of his training. I worked in a lot of gyms, in schools for football teams and in private businesses. And uh, we had a little saying that was told to me when I first began to train with weights. When you're training the horse, don't ask the horse. Now, that's, that makes sense, doesn't it? So Paul's saying, you know, when you, when you set a goal, don't ask yourself how you feel about it. You just do what God has called you to do. Now, I was going to feel great about it. That's what discipline is. Souls are won by those who are prepared to be used when the Spirit chooses to use them. Are you ready? Are you prepared to be used? Are you ready to give an answer to every man that asks you of the hope that lies within you? How do you get started? By getting started. 
by telling the Lord that you're available. And then you do what he asks you to do. It may just be a word here, a word there. We talk in, in coaching. There's a difference between practice experience and game time, isn't there? Because in game time, it's real. And we don't just stop when we want to stop and show something. It's going to be real till the play ends. The way to get game is she said, well, I don't know how to witness. We'll start. You'll figure it out. And you'll see that you don't have to have all the answers. In fact, it's a very honest thing, and people will trust you more. You say, well, you know, that's really a good question. I don't know the answer to the question, but I'm sure the Lord does. Let me get back to you on that. And next time somebody asks you that question, that will not be a stumper anymore because you have the answer from the Word of God. So what's it going to be? Rights, liberties, comforts, or victory? When I worked in the gym in private business, Middle-aged fellas had come in. Their wife had said they needed to work out. The doctor said you need to lose some weight. So they come into the gym. Invariably, there's some great big guy over in the corner like this. And the middle-aged guy walks in like this. And he sees the guy in the corner. He says, well, I don't want to look like that. And I, and I calm his fears. So listen, that's not going to happen. You don't walk in there one day and just... Whoop. Oh, no. I'm muscle-bound. No, that, that, those guys got that way because they focused on it. But the reason they say they don't want to look like that or they can't be that because they don't think it's possible. Some people look at soul winning that way. Well, I just, I just don't have those tools. It's not about you. You have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we preach not ourselves but Jesus Christ. So why? So the glory is going to be about God, not about you. And when you see your friend come to know Jesus Christ, you'll get so full of joy, you'll want to do that again and again and again. So we'd measure those little guys. I said, listen, don't worry about him. You just do what I tell you to do. Don't kill yourself. Just come in and do the program. After about a month, we measure him again. All of a sudden, that, that bicep that was five or six is now eight or nine. I've been to walk around like this a little bit. And then they say, uh, hey, Paul, yeah, what's that big guy do? Because now they see that it's a possibility. They have a focus. It's about the gospel. Daniel 12, 3 says, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expansion of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars Forever and ever. Paul says, so run to win. Because one of the greatest joys you can experience in this life is sharing the gospel with someone and seeing them come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then the glory for all eternity is that you were a soul winner. Father, we thank you that you loved us and you have given us such great liberty from sin. You've given us such great comfort in the gospel. Such joy in our homes and our family now that you are Lord. Lord, make us warriors. Give us that desire that we might one day shine like the stars forever and ever because you made us soul winners. And then we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.